Well, good morning. My name's Wilson. I am a pastor in training here at Church of the Incarnation. Really good to be here on the second Sunday of Christmas um, with you guys and with all of you at home. If you have your Bible nearby somewhere, turn to our gospel reading that Lindy just read for us um, from Matthew chapter 2. This morning, we're, we're going to accompany these strange people called the Magi, some of the very first celebrators of the Christmas season, because if we can accompany them on their journey of celebrating the king, then we ourselves can enter into that celebration. And we need good traveling companions on the way to kingdom celebration because we just came out of 2020 and we may need some help celebrating. You may find yourself in the mire this morning. Uh, You may find it difficult to imagine how to celebrate anything this season. Like, it may even seem strange that we're talking about Christmas right now because the music stops so quickly after Christmas Day is over, just around us. A lot of the lights are already coming down. All right, we all experience the whiff of hope that always comes with a New Year's Eve at midnight, but then that, that nagging sort of knowledge that at 12.01 a.m. on New Year's Day, nothing actually changed. That's exactly why we need a story like this to guide us into the celebration. Because the news of the newborn king is not just a whiff of hope. It's good tidings. It's good news of a new everything. So if you need help celebrating the newborn king this morning, you've come to the right place. You've come to the right story. Let's imagine ourselves accompanying these people, these magi, as they're following the star. Let's accompany them into the celebration of Jesus, the newborn king. Um, There are lots of ways. To celebrate Jesus. But from this story, we'll see, we'll see four things that that celebration involves. First, entering into the celebration of the king involves embracing the invitation. Embracing the invitation. So look at verses one through two with me. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem saying, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. Um, Okay, so if your Bible happens to say wise men in it, there's probably a footnote right next to that. And then if you look at the bottom, it'll say in the Greek, that's magi. And I'm I'm glad they put that in there because the word magi does not mean wise men. Um, These are astrologers or maybe some sort of dream interpreters from modern day Iran. They're Gentiles. Um, they're not three kings either. I, I ran across somewhere where that tradition started. They brought three gifts, um, but they're not kings, and there's probably not three of them. So if you're imagining this kind of scene, it's probably best to imagine this whole caravan of a foreign priestly caste of people coming from the east, all the way from modern Iran, and tromping into the center of Jerusalem and saying, hey, we just heard your new king was born. Can you show us where he is? All right. This is an astounding way for Matthew to kick off his gospel. This is amazing. If you're listening today and you're not part of the Jewish people, which is probably most everyone listening to this, then that means that the Magi's invitation to come see the king is your invitation. So much Old Testament prophecy pointed to a day when God would gather in a people that weren't looking for him and had no introduction to him. And here it is beginning. 
He led the Magi in a way that they, astrologers, would understand. A star rising and then resting over the exact site of the rescuer that God sent into the world. And God, like a proud father, is there showing off his newborn beloved son. These are the sort of people that will be included in his kingdom. Like the fact that we're even talking this morning about celebrating our king means that we're in the middle of what Ephesians calls again and again the mystery of the gospel. And that's that anybody at all can belong to this king and be a part of this kingdom. So we begin by embracing the invitation to this. God has invited the people that weren't even looking for him into his kingdom to come meet his king. So second, entering into the celebration also involves perceiving the nature of his rule. Okay, perceiving the nature of his rule. Um, All right, this next section, we're gonna see two sets of characters, both of them bad examples. All right, let's look at verse three. When Herod the king, bad example number one, when Herod the king heard this, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. And they told him in Bethlehem of Judea. All right, and then skip down to verse second, verse seven, sorry. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem saying, go and search diligently for the child. And when you found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. Um, Okay, Herod perceives what's happening here with this newborn king and he's troubled. All right, Herod was an Edomite. Uh, Herod was somebody that that Rome had set up to be quote unquote king of the Jews. He's a pretender to the throne. He doesn't follow God's rule. He doesn't exercise his rule under God's rule, but he was a tyrant. And tyrants, anytime their power is threatened, respond in fear and anxiety and in rage. And ironically, Herod, wicked though he was, perceives the situation a lot more accurately than a lot of Christians do. So, so modern secular society is, is fine with Jesus as long as he is a, a private matter of religion in the heart. And many of us have bought into that. Jesus may or may not work for you uh, and will tell our neighbors about this good advice about Jesus and hope that they take it. But that's exactly not what Jesus is. He is a king. And that means that either he calls the shots or some other king or some other authority calls the shots. And the news about him isn't advice. It's news. It's good news. And Herod perceives all of this well, that a real king has come and that it's a threat, although he runs in the other direction. Okay, and then let's look at our other set of characters real quick. Uh, Look at verse four again. Um, Then Herod assembled all the chief priests and the scribes of the people and inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. And they told him in Bethlehem of Judea. And then they quote this this prophecy about where the Messiah is going to come from. Okay, Bethlehem is five miles away from Jerusalem. It's really close. And the chief priests and the scribes hear that there's some rumblings about the Messiah coming on. Uh, these are the professional scholars of religions of religion. Uh, these are like the pastors of the area, and they don't take half a day off to go see if the Messiah has turned up in Bethlehem. All right, if you can get your hands on a donkey, it takes under half a day to get over there, and they don't go. Why? Like, Iranian astrologers are coming, saying that the Messiah is here. No thanks. 
that's not how God works. And on some level, like, I can understand this. If I'm at work uh, and I hear that a palm reader from West Virginia has come over and is announcing that the second coming has just happened in Elkton, I probably won't take half a day off to go check it out. But as we, as we keep reading the gospel, what we'll see is that eventually it becomes abundantly clear that this Jesus really is the Messiah. And the scribes and the Pharisees and the chief priests never come around, or many of them don't, having eyes they don't see and ears they don't hear. So we learn from Herod that we've, we've got to reject a sentimental, safe view of the child Jesus. This baby is a king that is here to establish a kingdom of love and justice that will cover the entire earth and that will set us in our place as humble creatures of the creator God and anything in the way of that will eventually be toast. And then learning from the chief priests and the scribes' mistakes, it takes, it takes some work to perceive this kingdom. This, it, it surprises us at every turn. It often rubs us the wrong way. Like We've got to maintain a sensitivity to God's word. We've got to maintain a sensitivity to him in prayer. We have to listen to him and let him work and trust that he is good and that the nature of his rule is good. We'll we'll never be able to celebrate this season below kind of a surface level without this. We've got to be able to perceive the nature of his rule, how it really is. But here's the good news. If we can do that, then we can really enter into the heart of the celebration and see that third, celebrating the king involves pouring ourselves out in his presence. Pouring ourselves out in his presence. Let's come back to the Magi in verse 9. After listening to the king, they went on their way. And behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. And they saw the star, and they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary's mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. They rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. You can hear the overflow. They fell down and worshipped him. So in the ancient world, this is, this is language for what it's like to bow down and give homage to a king. Maybe even recognize him as a god. Give respect and deference. This is worship. This is homage. This is allegiance. And then they offered him expensive gifts that are worthy of a king. Um, maybe this sort of outburst of joy and excitement and celebration, maybe that lines up exactly with where you are this morning. Like the idea of a king that would welcome outsiders like you and me and invite us, a king to depend on, one who's preparing a room in his father's house. It's incredible news. Like, and maybe you do feel the joy bursting out spontaneously and you feel like falling down at his feet and giving whatever gifts you can muster. But maybe not. Maybe you need some help pouring yourself out before him and, and you don't know where to start. Like, how do we do this? Um, and thankfully, there's a lot of help in the Bible, for how to pour ourselves out to him. Um, so let's just steal one example from Paul. Uh, go, uh, go over to our New Testament reading, actually. Um, I'd love for you to turn there. Uh, back to Ephesians 3 through 14. Um, that entire reading is really a prayer. It's a prayer of St. Paul pouring out his heart to the king. So let's steal it. Um, Take some time this week, over the next few days. We're on the 10th day of Christmas. There's only a couple days left. Take a second sometime and take this prayer for your own 
and pray it directly to the Father, to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit. Um, So let's just see what this might look like. If you look at verse 3, it could look like this. Father God, blessed be your name. Blessed be your name. Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, you have blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Even as you chose us in our King Jesus before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before you. And stop anywhere that, anywhere that something pops out like holy and blameless before you. Us, to whom so much blame can be put, we are going to be blameless in your sight and just work through the whole prayer that way. Um, at, let, let me tell you what happened to me when I tried to do this earlier this week. Uh, so I was preparing a sermon about celebrating King Jesus and was having a lot of trouble celebrating uh, for whatever reason. You know, it's just every day can kind of be different. And I went to this prayer, and when I started, I started praying like that, and it felt very clunky, and it was taking a while, and my heart wasn't kind of there. But by the end, I had made it, and I was in the celebration. This prayer brought me there. So this whole prayer, if you just scan through it, it does everything that the Magi just did in pouring themselves out to the king. Like the whole prayer is just shot through with this note of joy. In the original, it's just one long run-on sentence and you can still feel it as you read it. Like the English translators desperately tried to find some place to put a period or a comma or something to give us a breath and it barely worked. Um, you go in the middle of it and you, you immediately get lost. It's just kind of swirling around you and just let it happen. Just pray it. Rejoice exceedingly with great joy by recounting all the incredible things in here that the Father and the Son have done together and the Holy Spirit putting his seal on you. Give, like this just, it's just one way to pour out your heart. Give this prayer as a gift of your heart to the King. So we've embraced the invitation. We've taken some time to perceive the real nature of his rule poured out our hearts in his presence, and finally, entering into the celebration of the king will involve leaving with a new allegiance. So Christmas season ends in just a couple days, and we continue on. Verse 12, last verse of our story. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. Celebrating this king as our king, as the true king of all there is, leaves us changed. There's no going back. There's a new allegiance. And like God sent the Magi back into their own country, he is going to send us into the spaces he's given us to inhabit. Christmas is ending. A new season begins. Normal life resumes, and we make our way back into the places that God has has set out for us to inhabit and to serve him in. Um, there are, there are other times to dig into questions of vocation and calling. It's very important. There's a lot to talk about there. But for now, what we see is Jesus really present in our world, like really calling us into a specific time in a specific place with an allegiance to him that fuels us along the way. Just like he came, was born in a place that you can point to on a map, was born in the days of King Herod. He brings us to a specific time and place. Like for the Magi, the Lord made it abundantly clear that they could not return to Herod and they had to go back to their place by another way. And it may be that in route to your place, whether in business or politics or, or whatever, there may be some sort of Herod, someone who is not legitimately exercising their authority, but, but a pretender, somebody who's fine with you going your own way as long as, 
your allegiance is primarily to their way of doing things. And you can't do it. The way of, requ- of Christ will require another way. It may be one that's less successful. It may be one that infuriates a tyrant. It may be one that creates a dangerous situation. But we've got a new allegiance to a king, to a new king. This is our route to celebrating at the feet of Jesus and beyond. Embrace the invitation, perceive his rule, pour out yourself in his presence, leave with a new allegiance. And with that, hear the last words on King Jesus' lips that are at the end of this Gospel of Matthew. He says this, And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Enter into the joy of the celebration, friends. Let's pray. Father, you, you have invited us, you've called us by name to come to the feet of your son and celebrate him. Father, he is the true and the only king and in him is life. Lord Jesus, abide in us as we pour out our hearts to you. Holy Spirit, will you please accompany us on the way as we seek to serve him. Lord, help this good news to sink into our hearts this season. We need it. We need your joy. We need the joy of your celebration. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.